The name of my message is Signals and Sounds. Signals and Sounds. We don't confer. I don't know what they're going to do. They don't even know what God's going to do. They pick a song, and one week it'll sound one way, and the next week God just takes it to a whole other direction, a whole other level. And we can sing a song one week, and, you know, you might remember, oh, we sang it that way, but the, God's not going that way with it. So we can't go that way, or, or it's in the flesh. See, and we're not about flesh. We're not about drumming up flesh and emotions. We really are about following by the Spirit. And so signals and sounds, and all throughout the Old Testament, in order for people to know precisely how and when to move, it was necessary to have a system of signals. You know, I told you a few weeks ago that Cammie and I sang on the phone together a song because the worship team won't let us sing with them. And I'm not about to try to blow this shofar. <laughs> but Aideen can do it. And the blast of a shofar coming out of the thick cloud of Mount Sinai made the Israelites tremble. You can tremble because of a sound. <laughs> Today, we heard a sound. And we felt something on the inside of us. And if you didn't, just keep going, God... I, I can remember when I was at a meeting and all these people were like crying. I'm like, I'm not crying. And they were raising their hands. And I'm like, I don't feel like that. And they were saying how they love Jesus. And I'm like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't feel that kind of love. Just ask him to make you more and more sensitive. I just started praying, God, I don't know what's in me. I don't know what's hard in me. I don't know why I'm not sensing it, God, but make me sensitive to you, God. I don't know how to respond to you. I know how to respond to people, but God, I don't know how to respond to you. It just doesn't feel familiar to me, but God can make it so it's so familiar, it feels more normal than anything. And see, the anointing ought to be to a Christian like a fish is to water. It ought to be just so normal. The shofar was made from a ram's horn, or it could be the horn of a sheep, or a goat, and, and it, it would be blown to, to, to signal maybe the start of a holiday or the start of a war. Uh, sometimes the, the sound would say advance, and sometimes the sound would say retreat. And, and all through Exodus, motions of the blast of the trumpet are made, if you just read through, short blast, long blast. In Joshua 6, 5, they made a long blast with the ram's horn, and when they heard the trumpet, the walls came tumbling down. Who knew God was going to talk about Jericho today? And sounds. In Judges 3.27, Ahud blew the trumpet in the mountains, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains. You can be on a mountain, and God says, now walk to the valley. You can be in the valley, and God says, now go over here to this field. And you can like it in the field, and God says, but no, now I want you on the mountain. And so you got to just go where he goes. And so the sounds from the trumpets would signal the gathering of the people or to announce a possible continued march. And with different pitches, the trumpet would alert various groups to do very specific things. The blowing of the trumpet was the responsibility of the priest. But the responsibility of the people was to obey the command that the trumpet signaled. Ed Trout came last week, prophetic man, minister of the gospel, very powerful in his gifting, mature prophet, some of you got words. I know some of the situations, and I know how specific they were. I was going to let some of you testify, but I, I think we'll do that another day. But really, he blew the trumpet. See, he blew the trumpet to some of us individually and for all of us corporately. Now, some of us, well, really all of us, have gotten confused at times, and we've misinterpreted God's directions. 
Sometimes God told us to do something, and we put it off, and we put it off, and our blessing sort of got lost in the delay. But sometimes we hear God, and we hear him, and it's exciting because we like what we hear. We lunge ahead before it's his time to do a thing. And we think we've done well until the real thing comes along, and we see how we blew it, <laughs> and it would have been better if we'd have waited for God to do it his way. Alan talked about Ishmael's uh, about a month ago or so. And Ishmael is premature. It's, it's ahead of time. It's out of God's perfect timing. And it's wanting to get ahead of God so it's not quite God's way of accomplishing the thing he promised. But then, and Isaac takes so long, we start to get discouraged because we think it's never going to happen. And, and, um, but if we wait, in the end, multitudes are blessed because it was God's way and it was God alone and he's all over it. And then some of us have just wasted time doing laps around the same exact lesson over and over and over. One more lap around Mount Sinai, there was a song. And we wonder how the Israelites could do that and take 40 years to make an 11-day journey. And we're wondering, what's wrong with them? But yet we take 10 years to get over our issues, and God desired them to be gone in 10 months. And all of us really want a voice from heaven saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Now is the time. But more than half the time when God tries to tell us stuff like that, we argue and we say, that way? No, that can't be you. You, you wouldn't want me to do that. that. That doesn't sound loving. You're loving. or That's not practical. Or we give him scriptural reasons. And we pick the scripture we want to pick to argue with him. But we ignore the scripture that he's standing on, and he is the word itself. And then sometimes we're just afraid. And so we're afraid to go that way, and we get paralyzed, and we feel like we can't make it if we go that way. But for people who are always asking for direction, we sure have a lot of trouble carrying out direction when we get it. Now, I've never herded sheep. Well, not the animal kind, okay? I've taught a lot on sheep. Easy's herded sheep, real for real. I think Cammie's herded sheep. They grew up on farms. But God calls us his sheep, and there are great similarities. And it's hard sometimes to get everybody going in the same direction at one time. Today we had an unusual little place where it was easy to get in that place together. But a lot of times sheep ABC will go to the right, but not at the same time as sheep XYZ, and then when X, Y, Z are ready to go in the direction that the shepherd is going, A, B, C are discouraged or distracted, and, and they, can't, they can't seem to see that direction. And, you know, even when even it's simple things, when it's time to leave to go somewhere, Easy and I are just very different when it comes to time. And one of us is always early, and one of us is always late. Now, I chalk it up to my Italian genetics, but um, that I'm always late because my idea of on time is within nine minutes of the stated time, within nine minutes after. When it gets to 10, it just seems like, ooh, now I'm late. Easy's idea of on time is like 30 minutes early. Okay, he was going to an appointment and, um, last week, and it was like his appointment was at 2 o'clock, and at 1.20, he goes, I'm leaving. I go, it's three minutes away. He goes, I know, but I want to be there on time. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and see, whereas I'm like, Oh, my God, it's one minute to two. How fast can I get there? And I'm just like flooring it. 
for the three-minute drive, and then I can't find a parking place. And so, then, then, but then, and, I, and my, my heart is racing, and my blood pressure is up, and I run in, and it's nine minutes after, and I'm like, I made it. <laughs> when we get on a plane, he likes to be the first to board. I like to be the last. Why would you want to sit in the cramped plane any longer than you have to? So after years of discussions, we went ahead and decided that he would be first and I would be last. So basically, when they call the elite people, even if he's not the elite, he stands up. And I'm like, you're not, you're not supposed to. I'm just standing. I'm just getting ready. And I'm still shopping for chewing gum and stuff and, and going to the bathroom and wait until the last person's on until they do that last call thing, like they're going to fly away. And then I run in and I sit next to him. And it works. But see, in ministry, sometimes you're pulling back on the reins and going, whoa, slow down. Come on, don't try it. God said that, but let's let him do some things first. And then there's some other people you're going, come on, you can do this. I know Alicia doesn't really like to be on the mic, and so I just walked over to her at the last song, and I go, you're going to make the announcements today. Don't even think about it. Here they are. I go, when, when it's time, I'm going to hand you the mic. I didn't give her any time to say no. She did a great job. <laughs> and then, you know, you have the people that are positive that God told them something. And no matter what you say, God told them. And I remember in the early days, Kirk, you know, I'm thinking of one of our young leaders in our Generation Jesus ministry that was an offshoot from the church. And, and um, he didn't really like college very much, and he didn't like school. And he had all these reasons he didn't want to go to school. But the deal with his dad was he, his dad, was gonna, his dad gave him a car. But if he quit school, he wasn't going to have that car. And so he just kept going to school, I think, so he could have transportation to get back and forth to church and the meetings and stuff. And um, one day, I remember I was in my office. And um, Easy didn't have an office back then. Our, his office was the children's church, and the chairs were real little. And that's where he, And then he'd go over to Barnes & Noble just to get his sermons. Easy used to preach every Sunday morning. It took six or seven of us to replace Easy. You know, sometimes I've said it takes a village to replace Barbara in children's church. It, it, took, it takes six or seven of us to replace him. But... He would go over there and study and work on his sermons. And so one day I was in the office. Easy was at Barnes & Noble. Kirk walks up the sidewalk. I see him walk in the door. And one of our other leaders, the, the young man I'm talking about, was trailing behind him. And Kirk looks sort of down. And I go, what's wrong with you? Matt has something to say. And I go, what do you mean? He has something to say. He goes, he doesn't have a car. I go, why doesn't he have a car? I go, bring him in. Let him talk to me. I go, why don't you have a car? I quit school. I go, you quit school? Because my dad took my car. Well, the mother in me is like trying to figure out how are we going to get a little car for him? Like, who can I go talk to to get a little car? And, and I'm all worried about him and everything. And, and I go, well, let's go talk to Easy. So we have me and Kirk and this other young man in my car. We drive to Barnes & Noble, and we walk through the aisles to see where Easy's sitting. And I go, honey, what? I go, the boys need to talk to you. And they're like 19. And he goes, what about? And I go, well, you know, Matt doesn't have a car anymore. Why not? Well, he said God told him to quit school, and he quit school, and his dad took his car away. And he goes, if God told him, everything's going to be okay. Looked right back down at the Bible, never missed a lick. <laughs> See, the God told me people. <laughs> if God told you, God's going to work it out. But has God really ever spoken clearly to you, but then you try to talk yourself out of what he said? 
See, God's desire is really to guide us and to give us direction so that we can arrive at our destination at the appropriate time and so that our times really are in his hands. Now, I don't always understand why he chooses certain times to do certain things. There was a time when, before we were in ministry, I met him when he was giving his testimony, and God spoke to him and said I was going to be his wife. I thought that sounded crazy, and six months later, we were married, okay? And we, were, we did ministry every weekend. We traveled somewhere. We did some kind of ministry. We weren't ordained. We didn't have a title. We weren't pastors of a church. You know, we just, we just went wherever people called us, and we spoke, and God ministered, and people got healed, and stuff happened. And at our house, when we were in town on a weekend, we would have meetings, like praise and worship meetings and prayer meetings, and we'd have 100 people show up. And we didn't have much furniture, and we just used the, the big open rooms, and we had praise and worship leaders that come. They'd set up their speakers, and, and we'd just worship at our house and pray and stuff. And so we thought, you know, we got a lot of people coming, so we decided, let's do citywide prayer meetings. We can pull this off. Look at all the people that just come to our house. And so we, we talked about it between us, and we rented a hotel ballroom. And mind you, we had 100 and 150 people at times coming to our house, and we showed up at our ballroom that we paid money for, that we had advertised. Not one individual showed up. Not one. I guess God wasn't in that. And so, you see, sometimes we come up with ideas that are just not his. But do we sit down and stop and go, I'm never doing anything again? No. We're like, okay, we were wrong there. Sorry about that. I wish we had that money back. Okay. And then we just picked up and went on. Sometimes we miss it. It's okay. And so I don't understand why he chooses certain times to do certain things. But then again, why did he tell Abraham and Sarah about that son thing so soon? See, why did he get their hopes up so early? Like, so that they messed up along the way, you know, like trying to do it out of God's timing. Why, why not just mention it like nine months and one day? Nine months and one day before the birth. That would have been good. That would have been, I, that, I like that plan. But there were choices that had to be made all along the way so that they wouldn't get their eyes off what God said he would do, even though they didn't know how he would do it. It is impossible to please God without faith. And in every fulfillment of every promise that he's making in your life, he's building a foundation in you for the next promise to be able to be fulfilled so that you can make it through the challenges of life. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Many times waiting, tests, and trains, and shores up our faith. But then God says it's not just about faith. He says to your faith, you've got to add some things. To your faith, add some self-control. To your faith, add some perseverance. To your faith, add love. To your faith, add brotherly kindness. What's happened to brotherly kindness? Sometimes it takes time to work these things on the inside of us. And it is one thing to get a person ready for an individual destiny. But it's another thing entirely to get a multiplicity of people ready for a corporate destiny. Two weeks ago, I talked about Gideon just a little bit in the sermon, Don't Drop Your Dreams. I said we have to receive the dream of God into our spirit. And sometimes we have all kinds of objections and we disqualify ourselves. I recounted how Gideon told God, I'm the least of my family, and my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And God said, that's okay. Quit, shut up. Just go in the strength that you have. Then Ed last week talked about Gideon at length. 
read a couple chapters, and he actually compared Epicenter Church to Gideon's army. Yet, he said, God has chosen us for a purpose, and the house, meaning the church, will fill. He said, you have not compromised, and God is looking for a people who will value his presence and worship him in spirit and in truth. The full gospel will be preached here, and young people will come in clusters. And at lunch, he said, remember the clusters. But note that as he recounted the story of Gideon, after God whittled down the 32,000 men that Gideon had down to 10,000, then down to 300, then God gave Gideon a strategy and some weapons for the battle that they were facing. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to pull down strongholds. They are mighty. They're not carnal, but they're mighty. We want something we can see. We want something we can hold on to. We want to know. We, we want to feel it in our hand. Sometimes we just need to feel it in our spirit. And we need to get more spirit conscious than body conscious. But God gave them three things. Three things. He gave them torches. Say torches. He gave them clay pots. Clay pots. So, or pitchers. Some translations say clay pitchers. And he gave them trumpets. Say trumpets. Torches, clay pots, and trumpets. What? And then he gave them a wild command. God ever tell you do anything crazy? When not one young person was here, God told Easy, start building a mobile outreach platform trailer for outreaches. Who's gonna, I, I said, who's going to be on it? <laughs> sort of like Noah in the ark. You're building what? <laughs> Easy didn't stop. We, we didn't even have chairs in our church that we needed. And Easy was raising thousands of dollars from all of his friends to build this $50,000 mobile platform trailer. But it's what Alan and Kirk and Cammie and all the early young people preached from and led worship from. And hundreds would come to our parking lot outreaches. At the beach, we pulled up on the sand, and they started preaching and leading worship, and people came up and listened and got saved and threw their drugs in a bonfire, and we baptized them in the ocean, Crystal Beach. Sometimes God will tell you a crazy thing. So God tells Gideon, when I tell you, you give the command and have them blow their trumpets, break their clay pots, and wave their torches. We're 300. There are 135,000, and we're going we're gonna to break a pot, wave a torch, and blow a trumpet? Well, when they broke the pots, it made such a loud sound, and they started waving the torches in the dark. It looked like so much commotion was going on, and the trumpets were loud. And so the 135,000 Midianites turned on one another in fear and confusion and defeated themselves. And see, there's shadows and types and symbols in the Old Testament. Those of you who have been here a long time know how much I like to teach on that. And, and really, just quickly, we're not going to teach on it today. But if you look, see, those were pointing to something that we can think about today. We are the clay pots. See, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're not to be broken cisterns that can hold no water. But we have this treasure. What treasure? The flame of the Holy Spirit, the torch. 
His ministers are to be a flame of fire. We are to burn brightly for him. And yes, the devil tries to snuff us out. And yes, sometimes our flame goes low. And that's why others in the body of Christ come and blow on it. And we come to life again. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And yes, these clay pots need to be broken. But sometimes they're broken by others in the world. And then they're broken and wounded and they're hurt. And and God says, I want to heal you up. But it's a very different story when we come and we willingly break ourselves before the Lord and let what's in the alabaster jar flow out. There's two kinds of broken. There's a brokenness that I do before God. And there's a brokenness that people try to do in my life. And God will come in as the master potter and heal that up. He will put you back on the wheel and dip his hands in the water like a, like a potter, if you've ever watched a potter at work, and, and then they'll mix it with, with the blood of an insect, actually, and it, it forms a paste, and, and you, can, you can make and form the pot again as it was originally meant to be and put it back in the fire, and then it doesn't crack. And that's another series entirely, but he wants you to be able to willingly go before him and be broken. But he is not for the brokenness that people bring into our lives so that we're just wounded warriors trying to fight. But we can't hold on to things because it keeps leaking out through the cracks. But we are the clay pots. Didn't mean to go there when I talk like I just. God wants his people healed up emotionally. God can prophesy things to you, and again and again you can get it, but sometimes we're our own worst enemies, and the hurts and wounds of the past and the pressure and pain from the past pulls us so much. We self-sabotage on the inside, and God really wants to heal us up, mind, will, and emotions, so that our soul can be truly submitted to the things of the Spirit, so that the soul is not pulling at the things of the Spirit. So that there's not that war going on. There's enough war around us. We don't need to have one on the inside of us. So we have a torch within us, his Holy Spirit. But I want you to know that we sound the trumpet every time we open our mouth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And every sound we make, just like the trumpet of old, is a signal to those around us. Every sound we make is a signal. 1 Corinthians 14, 8, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? As Christians in the New Testament, we can hear the sound of the Lord. We can hear God signaling, but we can also make a sound that signals. We can hear a sound and we can make a sound. We can hear the signal and we can give a signal. And so it's time to get in agreement with God and focus on what I think are four things in closing up. If we're going to make a sound, we want to make the same sound God is making. There's power in agreement. The place of power is the place of agreement. Who are you going to agree with, your depressed neighbor? Who are you going to agree with, your mad spouse? No, we need to agree with God. Sometimes husband and wives can't figure out what to do. I go, maybe both of you are wrong. Both of us? Wait, we thought we had a 50-50 chance here. I'll go, maybe not. (laughs) i go, maybe you're both wrong. You need to go back to God, and he's going to tell you something else entirely. (laughs) It's time to agree with God. To do that, I believe we have to get back in a place of godly aggressiveness. Everybody's aggressive nowadays, but not for God. 
<laughs> oh, they're aggressive on the next door app. Is that the name? Whoa, you want to, like, it, they, they have not, UFC fights have nothing on the next door app. Somebody says a little sentence, and the next person says something snarky. And the next person says something to combat the snarky person. Then the next person agrees with the first person. And by the time you're through, you have 150 comments, and you're shocked that people can be this mean and put it down for everybody to see. If I was going to be that mean, I wouldn't want a record of it. And I'm like, man, like I'm not saying a word. I'm scared. (laughs) The next door app. Traffic. Now, Alan and John say that sometimes I'm the cause of others' angst. I think I'm doing fine. I'm happy. Looking at my text, stopping in the parking lot. Wait, they need an answer. People are behind you. Okay. There's aggression everywhere. There's no lack of aggression except for godly aggression. When the trumpet sounds, godly aggression looks like this. You don't run off. You don't hide. You don't complain. You don't decide you're going to sit and meditate. You just allow God to push you forward. You say, okay, if you say go in the strength that I have, I'm going. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll just start walking and let you lead me. God, I'll just trust that you're with me. I'll be aggressive enough not to just sit here. Number two, godly attitudes. Your attitude, easy has always said, determines your altitude. See, you, he would not let us say, you, I can't. It's impossible. I won't. I give up. His book is called Never Give Up. The man does not give up. You don't opt out. You press in. And see, there's a godly attitude where you press in and you press on and you press hard, but in it you feel God. And if you get a hold of God, he'll get you the rest of the way. One time I sat at a service and I knelt down and I was crying on this chair and I said, God, it's like I can't get from where I am to where I need to be. And God said, Lena, I will take you from where you are to where you need to be if you just want me to. Number three, godly associations. You will become like those you spend time with. Let me say it again. You will become like those you spend time with. Who you associate with will start to rub off on you, good or bad. If you're fairly happy, but you're always around someone who's extremely negative, you'll get negative because you're only fairly happy and they're extremely negative. The stronger tendency is the contagious one. (laughs) A critical fault-finding spirit can spread like cancer cells. If somebody has ungodly attitudes and you're not strong enough to influence them, don't hang around because they will influence you. In the early days, young people would go, you know, I came out of drinking and partying. All my friends are still in it. I want to go help them. I go, I don't think you're strong enough yet. You'll get pulled back in. You won't be able to pull them out. You got to know who's stronger. But then there was a time when they'd go back in the bars and witness and they got people out. But there's a time. If you hang around easy for long, you will, you will have greater vision. You'll believe that anything's possible. You'll you'll increase your ability to have faith for things. I said this once before. I'm going to alter it slightly today. I said, if you hang around me, you'll get sensitive to the anointing. That's true. You will learn to love people more. That's true. And at one time I said, and you'll lose all your fear. But what's funny is I came in Wednesday night to prayer. You know how you can feel real prophetic? But sometimes you just feel pathetic. (laughs) 
And I just had a lot of stuff weighing on me, and I didn't tell anybody. But thank God for the people I hang around with because they sensed that I needed prayer. And so fear that usually doesn't have a hold on me was trying to get a hold of me in various ways. And so one person said, I just, I keep getting your name. I feel like you need prayer. And, and by, by the time it was over, my congregation ministered to me, and I thank God for it because it matters who you hang around with. Because I could have said some of those same things to another group of people, and they'd have gone, yeah, that's probably how it's going to be. Yeah, you know, you need to just get with the program. You need to get, get realistic. Things are going downhill in that area. Yeah. No, it matters who you hang around with so that I lost the fear that was trying to encroach on me. But here's my question. If people hang around you, what will the result be? What will the result be? Number four, godly application. Knowledge without application is unfruitful. The old adage. We can sit in church our whole lives and learn and learn and learn. But if we don't apply it, there's no change. It's not like a deal where you just, like, it, it doesn't just pour in you, and it's just going to happen automatically. You have to act on the word. You, you, you have to let it get in, on the inside of you. The, the, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul, make you whole, healed, delivered, changed. All that you have been taught, whether you've known the Lord two weeks or two years or 20 years or 50 years, all that you've been taught in the word, all that you've learned by the moving of the Spirit, all the healing that God has brought into your life, you must put it to use. You must put it to use. And it's time to put it to use. Any bit of prayer you can muster up or all the intercession that God uses you in to break through and to tear down for other people, use it. Use it. You don't use it, you lose it. All the love that he's put in you, in your heart, Pour it into somebody. See, pour it into somebody. All the truth that he set you free with, freely give it away. Freely give it. Let it keep going. This is kingdom expansion. It's not if we get a 100 more people packed in here. It's about how many people are changed and transformed into the image of Jesus. But start doing the stuff that we agree with while we're at church. <laughs> let me let you think about that for a second. Start all this stuff that we're like, yes, yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. yes, yes, mm, yes, amen, amen. Right. Start doing that stuff when we're not in church. God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. He has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for this church. Pick up your promises. Don't drop your dreams. Listen to the signal and make the right sound. I'm going to close with this. God wants, God wants something. God wants, number one, a people who will not compromise. God wants a people who will not quit. God wants a people who will hold on to his promises, willing to let him lead and follow him completely. And number four, God wants a people who will love him unconditionally. And I want to tell you today, 
you can be that people. Stand to your feet with me. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we want to enlist, God. We want to enlist in that company of people, God. And where we're lacking, we thank you that you're going to come in and fill us. Where, where we feel like we're behind, you're going, to, you're going to catch us up, God. Father, there's no good thing that you will withhold from us who love you, and we thank you, God. I thank you for the calling and the destiny and the purpose upon each and every person in this room. Not just a ministry, some about their marriages and their families and their children and their businesses. God, I thank you, yet we can all be ministers of the gospel everywhere we go. So I thank you, it's not about titles or names. It's not even about numbers. It's about how much of you is on the inside of us and how much we're pouring out to a dying and thirsty and lost world. So Lord, we enlist. We want to be that people. We want to hear a sound. We want to make a sound. And we want to make a difference in the earth for you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen.